Are you sick and tired of ads? Well, this is an ad telling you that you don't need to listen to ads. Stitcher Premium has some of your favorite shows ad-free, like The Joe Rogan Experience, My Favorite Murder, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and the Marvel original, Wolverine the Long Night. It also includes early access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Go to stitcherpremium.com and upgrade your account for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Plus, sign up and use our offer code, CAPED, at checkout and get your first month for free. That's CAPED, C-A-P-E-D, for your first month free. Stitcher Premium. It's like Stitcher, but premium. This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters this is the show where we are also adventure brain surgeon rock musician dimension jumping people but we don't need a movie to, uh, to test pilot to comic off. book hero samurai physicists you're you're right i forgot some of our own things off our own business card we've got a lot of different attributes we do have a lot of different attributes and so does buckaroo bonsai Oh boy, does he. We are talking about The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension from 1984, directed by famous director, W.D. Richter. Famous director. I've only heard of this movie. <laughs> I had never seen this thing before. I knew damn near nothing about it except that he had all these kind of funny titles of what he does. But other than that, I knew nothing. The only thing I knew about this movie was that you knew about this movie. <laughs> surprise i don't know yeah so this i know i was like, very excited to see this thing this was totally out of left field for me what were you expecting i had no idea based on the posters i thought it was going to be something like dr Huey, because all i'd seen is like the the cover art for the movie and the post just the a man in a suit standing there yeah just a with space stuff around him dude in a bow tie with a briefcase against a spacey background i was like all right cool that's right. Not a Kevin Spacey background, a proper Spacey background. If it was a Kevin Spacey background, there'd be a lawsuit following. Right, right, right. It was just a lot of like stars and stuff and not so much touching little boys. Very important to differentiate the two. What'd you think of it? Oh my God. This movie is so much fun. It's nonstop like, oh, oh, they did that. Oh, they're going to do that. But it's also like <laughs> not trying too hard to do anything at all. And I found it super enjoyable what did you think i'm still on the fence about it because when i watched it i started this thing a little late in the, the day late at night let's face it the clock was it was this morning technically let's okay yeah. put it that way i liked it and it didn't sit well with me until i really sat like down and digested this thing and thought about it and went all right maybe i really like it but i don't know if i love it yet okay it's rare that before we talk about a movie you need to see this movie to understand anything that's about to happen. This is not a movie that's to be seen. It's a movie that's to be experienced. Yeah, absolutely. Because I did the same thing where I watched it very early this morning and fell asleep a lot of times and thought I caught enough of it to understand what was happening. I was like, eh, it's fine. But then I had to really sit down and watch it. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I found myself like Rocky horroring a little bit. Where I was like excited knowing what was going to happen next. Yeah, exactly. Like like what seemed like random scenes that had no connection last night 
fit together perfectly this morning. I was like, oh my God, everything is connected. It makes sense. Especially for this movie. This movie's insane. This movie's plot is absolutely insane. It doesn't ever stop oh, going forward and bananas. sideways and backwards and figure it out if you can. Who knows? All you know is that this is just pure entertainment. Yes. And the cast. Oh, the cast. The cast in this movie is insanely good. Peter Weller is Dr. Buckaroo Banzai. Robocop himself. Then you have the villain, John fucking Lithgow. <laughs> oh, oh, I love him. Doing an Italian accent, but sort of like an alien at the same time. Yep, the Italian alien. You got Ellen Barkin, you got Jeff Goldblum, you got Christopher Lloyd, and you got Robert Ito. What more could you ask for? Not to mention you also have Mr. Krabs himself, Clancy Brown. Yeah, and jazz legend Bill Henderson. Who's also in Clue. Yeah, he's the cop. Holy crap, man. This movie is stacked. Which is unreal. Let's figure out what this thing's about. I am so excited to talk about this thing. We open on some kind of testing grounds where a bunch of people, including government and military personnel, have gathered to witness some kind of jet car presentation. But there's more than that at play here. Buckaroo Banzai, played by Peter Weller, is late. It turns out he's performing brain surgery with Dr. Sidney Zwiebel, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, whom he offers a spot at the Banzai Institute as long as he can sing. That seems like what you need as a brain surgeon is a good set of pipes, too. Can you sing? He's like, yeah, a little bit. I can dance. Good enough. Maybe I want to see Goldblum do a dance behind uh, the- I'm sure that footage <laughs> exists. Hong Kong Cavaliers, the band. It's wild the way this is shot, introducing the character of Buckaroo Banzai, because- there's an opening scroll to this movie that kind of breaks down what's happening and what's about to happen and right. where he comes from. It's like a Star Wars-like scroll. And the scroll says, it's a little wordy, but deal with it. Buckaroo Banzai, born to an American mother and a Japanese father, thus began life as he was destined to live it, going in several directions at once. A brilliant neurosurgeon, this restless young man grew quickly dissatisfied with a life devoted solely to medicine. He roamed the planet studying martial arts and particle physics, collecting around him a most eccentric group of friends, those hard-rocking scientists, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Ooh. And now with his astounding jet car ready for a bold assault on the dimensional barrier, Buckaroo Banzai faces the greatest challenge of his turbulent life. While high above Earth, an alien spaceship keeps a nervous watch on Team Banzai's every move. What the fuck? Wow, yeah. That's a lot to take in in a scroll. <laughs> that is wild. I love how they say American mother, Japanese father. It's not even a name. Buckaroo's not a name. Right. Let's face right. it. That's just what you call a kid. Like, it's a nickname at best. Hey, Buckaroo. Right. And Bonsai's a tree. Yeah. <laughs> it's just words you know, slapped together, boom, brilliant. Yeah, alliteration style, a la Stan Lee. It's the best. And if the best part about it is if you read all Mac Rouch's pitch on this movie he wrote this thing it more or less just sounds like he came up with a cool name and that's what he pitched and that's what got bought that's it that doesn't surprise me at all no especially with this guy he goes i got a character named buckaroo Banzai. what do you think fuck yes yeah what do you got for him we're in i don't know i'll throw some shit together uh, <laughs> he's a neurosurgeon or a physicist all... or a test pilot or a rock star or a... they're like how it's about like all a of them fourth grader coming up with a story it's like <laughs> oh and then my rocket scientist did some kung fu also, he's got a jet car, and he's going to go into a different dimension with it. Also, he's a rock star. And he's got his own comic book. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep building on this character. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. This guy would easily be the most famous person in the world. And he is. 
He sure is. So after successfully performing the surgery, he heads to the test site. Buckaroo and his mentor, Professor Hikita, Robert Ito, have perfected the oscillation overthruster, a device that allows one to pass through solid matter. Bonsai tests it by driving his jet car straight through a mountain. While passing through it, Bonsai finds himself in another dimension and upon returning, discovers an alien organism has attached itself to his car. This is a feast for the eyes for this type of movie. For this type of, yeah, absolutely. It's so strange because this movie did come out in 1984, but this feels like more of your Easy Rider era type editing where you're slapping back and forth to multiple different locations and telling the same story, pushing it forward. Mm. And when this movie does it, it doesn't feel like it fits in a lot of ways. You're setting up something completely bizarre in the opening scroll, and then you do this, and it's like, this is a real movie. Yeah, This, this is a real film. This, this feels is grounded. editing skill here. This is top-notch editing to tell this. Yeah. We actually don't get a look at Buckaroo Banzai's face until 11 minutes into the movie, because the whole time he's wearing either a surgical mask or a driving mask or helmet. I'm okay with that. Just pretty interesting choice because you're like i just want to see the dude you do it's it's peter weller and he's the straight man in this movie believe it or not so it's yeah take it for what it is yep he's the zeppo of the whole gang <laughs> news of bonsai success reaches dr emilio lazardo john fucking lithgow currently held at the trenton home for the criminally insane so multiple times we've said this well in demolition man we said no one in the history of film has had more fun on screen than wesley snipes <laughs> yep on our patreon episode for the fifth element, we said that no one in the history of film has had more fun on screen than Chris Tucker as Rupee Rod. Yep. Go listen to that episode on Patreon. Thanks for subscribing. I take it all back because no one in the history of film has had more fun on screen than John fucking Lithgow in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in the Eighth Dimension. He's so over the top and yet still believable. And it's just a testament to how good an actor he is. It's crazy because John Lithgow was... I don't know how well-known he was back in the early 80s. Obviously, he hit his stride in the late 90s with Third Rock from the Sun. Right. But here, he has said that the closest he's ever gotten to going over the top was in the Twilight Zone movie when he was doing the, oh, there's something on the wing, there's something on the wing. And it's like, yeah, it's something that calls for going over the top. He was said that, that his That was Lithgow. That was Shatner in I the original the, yeah. Twilight Zone. But in the movie, the, uh, the Steven Spielberg one, it's Lithgow. Oh, right. And right, that's right. why in Third Rock, there's the whole joke when Shatner shows up and he says, Shatner's like, oh, I saw something on the wing. And Lithgow says, I saw the same thing. <laughs> it's such a good joke. <laughs> but in this, he says that his performance in Twilight Zone compared to Buckaroo Banzai is tame because yeah. of how over the top he's gone with this. He's got this insane Italian accent, kind of like a Chico Marx, if we want to stay with that metaphor. Mm -hmm. And... He also does a crab walk most of the time where he's walking sideways. Yeah. That's yeah. a choice. <laughs> he, um, he's the only alien in the movie with said accent, and you'd never question it. You're just like, yep, that's John Lithgow. Go on. Just Lithgowing all over the screen, just like Goldblum was Goldblooming all over the screen a scene ago. Yeah. So we have a flashback to 1938. Lizardo and Hikita have built a prototype overthruster, but Lizardo tests it before it's ready. And he becomes stuck literally in between dimensions. Like his ass is still in, in a this wall. dimension. He's in a wall. And his, his torso is in the eighth dimension. <laughs> and though he's free, being stuck between the dimensions causes him to go insane. And he now claims to be John Warfin. <laughs> we'll get there. We will. Knowing that a working oscillation overthruster exists, 
John Warfin murders a guard and breaks out of the asylum. Not just a guard. It's not just a guard. Do you know who that actor is? Who was it? Jonathan Banks. Oh. Of Breaking Bad fame. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't realize that was him. I saw it in the credits and I went, holy shit, really? No shit. Yeah, this movie just keeps giving us the goods. Jonathan Banks of Community fame. I forgot about that. I had to. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> You've been watching a lot of Community lately. A ton. If you follow your quarantine shows via our show right here, you can hear the community-isms coming out. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and you go, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> a lot of stuff, too. And it's great. <laughs> Stay tuned to see what show I'm watching next. Uh, we're going to find it. It's going to be something wild. I hope you go like Sopranos. Oh. Like that. <laughs> that would be a choice. <laughs> And then Peter Weller walks outside to get some gabagoo. <laughs> Banzai and the Hong Kong Cavaliers are performing at a nightclub when Banzai interrupts their musical intro to address a crying woman in the crowd. Penny Pretty. Ellen Barkin. He interrupts this in the weirdest way possible because they're in the middle of this number. Yeah, they're, and they're rocking out. Song. It's great. And he goes, wait a, wait a second. Wait a second. Because he's dry as shit. Wait a second. Is someone in here not having a good time? <laughs> like he'd sensed it yeah, yeah like i just feel something inside Says, is someone crying <laughs> and so she's weird. just like yes i am <laughs> what is happening can we put a spotlight on her and give her a microphone like what are you doing buckaroo bonsai <laughs> so then he performs a song especially for her during which she attempts to kill herself <laughs> she just puts a gun to her head and then she, her arm gets bumped by a, a waitress and she shoots the gun into the air, which is mistaken as an assassination attempt on Buckaroo Banzai. This movie just keeps giving. I love it. Yep. So naturally, he bails her out of jail, discovering that she is the long-lost twin sister of his late wife. More on that later, but actually not. <laughs> also, Jeff Goldblum joins the team, dressed as a straight-up rodeo cowboy, who the team nicknames New Jersey. Of course. I'm from New Jersey, and uh, you can typically find me dressed as... Well, it's dressed as Pee Wee Herman, really, isn't it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> in the rodeo scene in Pee Wee Herman, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And weirdly enough, most of the time it looks like Peter Weller as Bucker Bonsai is dressed as Pee Wee Herman, but with a different color bow tie. Not wrong. Weird. He's even got the white shoes at the end. He does. This movie is bizarre. And this is three years before Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. So Bonsai and the team go to hold a press conference about the jet car, the overthruster, and the specimen of the alien transdimensional life he obtained while traveling through the eighth dimension. When Buckaroo goes to take a phone call from the president, strange men disrupt the event and kidnap Professor Hikita. Did you find it weird how they had this weird, like, government conference in what might as well have been, like, a high school auditorium? Yeah, it was like it was like the, <laughs> the Holiday Inn convention room. Pretty much. <laughs> And they were like, all right, we're going to hurry this up because we have a uh, we have a motorcycle convention moving in after this. Like, what is happening? I don't, well, wink. That's what's happening. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a, <laughs> something's going to happen. Bonsai is zapped by the telephone, writes down a formula, and can suddenly <laughs> see the mysterious men as reptilian humanoids. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, just thinking back on this movie, I'm like having joy listening to you talk about it again. This it's absolutely wild. <laughs> So it's now, not even that. It's because the actors that are in this thing, right, right. They're just, they're just like real name actors doing just this insane plot. This is extraordinarily famous actor 
Vincent Chavelli, who is in the crowd, and also Dan Hedaya, yeah. who is an insanely, insanely famous character actor. You know him better as Nick Tortelli. Cheers. Mm-hmm. And the person who kidnaps Dr. Hikita is? I feel like if I start saying his name, you're going to yell 1.21 gigawatts. I'm tempted to. This is a test. Let's see how it's going to be. It's Christopher off. Lloyd. I was frozen today. <laughs> oh, so good. There's no such thing as too much Christopher Lloyd. I'm convinced. No, I, I wish we could do more Christopher Lloyd movies. So when Buckaroo Banzai comes to, he sees the reptilian humanoid men taking off and he's like, I got to go get them. So he steals one of the motorcycles that they're unloading from this truck and then he he chases them in like the lowest speed motorcycle van chase of all time. Yeah, it's weird when you see a chase scene that's the speed limit. Yeah, it, it, it's even weirder when he does a complete 360 at one point going like 15 <laughs> miles an hour maybe. He's driving on it's a two-way road. <laughs> now here's the two-way roads. You can go north to south or you can go south to north. Sometimes you can go east to west and west to east. How but about only that? one at a time. But one at a time. And he decides that after he goes through this this tunnel area, whatever it is, he stops to figure out which direction they went. And it's like <laughs> the same way that yeah, you're driving right now. The straight. only way they, that they could go. <laughs> Eventually, they run him off the road and his team signals to the Blue Blaze Irregulars for help, which is like his fan club, I guess. And he's got members it's all just over the world. a bunch of guys world. on a ham radio, pretty much. Yeah. And young Scooter and his father, Casper, Bill Henderson. Answer the call. A mysterious winged orb thing crashes down to Earth after being shot by a pair of hunters. One man jumps from the top. He hits his head and dies. A second one gets away, and a third remains inside the pod. A cop, the reptilian alien men from the press conference, and Buckaroo Banzai all descend upon the scene. Banzai finds Hikita <laughs> in the Yo-Yo Dine van and sends him back to the Institute with the formula that he slaps on his forehead on the motorcycle. Yep. Literally had it written on his palm and bam. Yep. Licked his hand, slapped Robert (laughs) Ito on the forehead and said, get back to Bonsai Institute. Exactly. And at this point, you're seeing Christopher Lloyd, Dan Hedaya, and Vincent Chiavelli all in alien costumes. Yes. Yeah. And like two of them have full masks (laughs) and... Christopher Lloyd has a mask with the eyes cut out, but he's wearing glasses over it. He is. It is brilliant. And they have like these hands that are alien as well that are very clearly just gloves. Oh, definitely. Buckaroo Banzai witnesses the reptilian dudes kill the hunters and try to break into the pod. The man still inside detonates the pod as the reptilian guys chase after Buckaroo, who is rescued by a helicopter just in time. And it's Scooter and Casper from the, uh, the Blue Blaze Irregulars. Of course it is. So they get back to the Bonsai Institute, where the rest of the team are investigating Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, the van that kidnapped Professor Hakita. They discover that all employees are named John and registered for Social Security <laughs> at the same time on the same day. So they're not just named John. They have different last names. Right. Like John O'Connor and John Warfin. And then you also have Christopher Lloyd's character, who, Brian, go ahead. John Big Booty. Big Boutet. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum deduces it was the day of the broadcast of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, which, of course, depicts aliens landing in Grover's Mill, New Jersey. It turns out to be a hoax. Everybody knows the story of War of the Worlds. Mercury 3 to 1938. Orson Welles freaked out the entire world. 
Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. The team realizes that it was not only a radio drama, but aliens actually did arrive and then, I guess, hypnotized Orson Welles into telling people that it was a hoax. How brilliant is that? So brilliant. I wish they got the Orson, date right. Well, I don't care so much about the date because Orson Welles luckily is notorious and famous for having a great sense of humor about things. Yeah. So I'm sure he loves knowing that his genius in 1938 was looked at as hypnotism in Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> because of actual aliens. Exactly. This is probably what killed Orson Welles a year later in 1985. That's probably what did it. Yeah, th- this was just too much. He's like, all right. Or or this is the moment he's like, nope, I've seen enough. Everything is right with the world. Pretty much. <laughs> I did my Muppets movie, and now they're making fun of my World of Worlds? Boy, I've hit rock bottom, you fat fuck. Ah, making, all right, I'm out. Making fun of or paying homage to? Both, because <laughs> I don't think that, oh boy, that's a tricky one, actually. <laughs> Orson Welles. Obviously, it's a fascinating career. He's one of the most influential filmmakers of all time because of Citizen Kane, the magnificent Ambersons. Mm-hmm. And then he went crazy. He's kind of like the OG Brando in a lot of ways. <laughs> I don't think he found this funny, assuming he saw this, which he probably wouldn't. But still. Yeah. The odds that he saw this, unless somebody was like, hey, they reference War of the Worlds. It's pretty crucial to the plot. Then he might have checked it out. Do you mean that I'm famous again? <laughs> have the Muppets offered me the standard rich and famous contract from the end of the first Muppet movie? What's that? Relevancy? Once more? <laughs> I don't have to do any more soup commercials. This is terrific. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do those wine commercials where I later admitted I never tasted the wine and got sued. Oh, man. Orson <laughs> oh. Wells, man. What a life. What a fascinating guy. Yeah. I would say he's probably... In the list of like old Hollywood, if you want to read about fascinating people, he's definitely top three. Who are your other two? I would put Brando up there as well, but Brando probably would never tell the truth about anything, mm-hmm. as we know very well about Brando. Personally, I would put Billy Wilder up there. Billy Wilder? Yeah, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing the way he came up. I would That's add Howard Hughes to that there. list. He's insane. They made a movie about him. Did you see it? Sure did. I Pete never and, saw it. Pete and Cups. Pete and, Classic. Pete and Cups and kept him. <laughs> Good for him. Right. That's commitment. John Parker is the guy that escaped from the pod before it blew up. He gets to the Bonsai Institute and delivers his package, which contains a hologram disc with a message from John M. Dahl, queen of the peaceful black electroids on planet 10. She explains the situation to Team Bonsai. Get ready for some exposition. Yeah, it's a big dump. Take a dump on us. The Black Electroids have been at war with the hostile Red Electroids for years, but managed to banish them to the 8th dimension. Lizardo's failed test of the Overthrusters in 1938 allowed the Red Electroids leader, John Warfen, the Hitler of Planet 10, to take over Lizardo's mind and enabled several dozen others to escape. Now that Banzai has perfected the Overthruster, John M. Dahl fears that John Warfen and his allies will try to acquire it to free the other Red Electroids. You get that? Wow, it's a lot. Good. <laughs> so John M. Dahl had shocked Banzai at the press conference through the telephone to allow him to see the Electroids for who they are, and she now tasks him with stopping John Warfen. Otherwise, the Black Electroids, you know, the peaceful ones, will fake a nuclear explosion in Russia to start World War III, annihilating Earth and the Red Electroids with it. Right. These very peaceful Black Electroids are 
going to continue to be peaceful, just going to be real gossipy. <laughs> so then, then, boom. Yeah. They're like, we're going to shut down the uh, the communication. We're going to fake an explosion in Russia. They're going to kill you. You're going to kill them. It's going to blow up the whole world. You know, mutually assured destruction. Good stuff. So the red electroids, John Gomez, John O'Connor, and John Big Booty. Big Booty. They infiltrate the Bonsai Institute to try to get the overthruster. They jump over the fence. Literally. Rob Lowe, Parks and Rec, literally, literally jump yeah. over the fence. They, um, <laughs> they do some serious parkour. Uh, and John Parker sees them and follows them. But he gets, he's like seconds behind them. But somehow he gets caught by security and brought to Buckaroo. Of course. That's how it always happens. And insert, he's the African-American joke here. That's, <laughs> that's all I got. Mm. <laughs> He's like this Rastafarian dude. I mean. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that the black electroids, for whatever reason, all have Jamaican accents. They sure do. Mon. And the red electroids all have red hair, except for Vincent Chevelli and the other guy whose name I already forgot. Vincent Chevelli is a fucking gift in everything he's ever been in. I love that dude. Just, whenever you see him pop up. He's the dude with the face. He has such a unique face. And it, like it's unfortunate he's no longer with us because that guy is insanely iconic and i hope he knows how iconic he is stop doing what you're doing if you're driving a car just pick up your phone while you're driving and google <laughs> vince Chivelli, and you're gonna go oh him all right yeah but also <laughs> don't do that pull over and you then can google if you want him. to it'll it's, be worth it it's your responsibility that's all it is okay. i'm not gonna say you're gonna go through a mountain <laughs> the mountain might stop you in fact but You'll know who Vince Javelli is before you perish, before you go see the Ebert in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as you take the responsibility off us. Correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. Delete your podcast history before yeah. <laughs> you do any of take this. Take your phone out while driving, delete your podcast history, and then Google Vincent Chevelli. <laughs> exactly. In that order. Thank you. We appreciate your listenership. God rest your soul. <laughs> <laughs> So the red electroids kill the dude working in the garage on the jet car, and they get into the building. Professor Hakita has prepared a potion just in time that allows people to see the electroids as they are, and wouldn't you know it, he sees the red electroids and runs away with the overthruster. He gives it to Penny, so the electroids can't get it. So now Penny Pretty has the overthruster, while these aliens just running amok within the Bonsai Institute. Yeah. This is fucking bananas it's absolutely everything we're insane. saying is insane <laughs> it shouldn't make sense i hope you heeded our trigger warning at the end of this of watch this movie <laughs> seriously it's so hard to follow if you haven't actually seen it but to me right now it makes total sense to me i'm loving every second of this <laughs> the team and the electrodes chase each other throughout the building electrodes shoot rawhide and capture penny but don't know she has the overthruster even though they kind of saw her take it from Professor Hakita. I don't know. They get away. The team realizes they now have an even bigger problem. They contact the president to inform him about the Nova police and the danger, and they decide to attack Yo-Yo Dine. Now, this president would be pretty forgettable anywhere. Let's face it. I have a question for you about the president. Go ahead. Is he supposed to be black? I don't know, but he's definitely in traction. For a back injury. He's 100% in traction for a, <laughs> for a back injury. Uh, Ronald Lacey. It's difficult yep. to recognize him when his face isn't melting. Very fair. But it's him, you know? Swap the glasses for a mustache and possibly blackface, and there you go. Uh, that's It's a tricky thing because, it, yes, 
This is, in fact, the guy whose face melted. He played Ernst Taunt in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. The the most famous Nazi in that. I do think he is wearing blackface. Which is, it's, I don't know, like, blackface, bad, always. We know that. Unless it's Tropic Thunder. That actually was trending on Twitter this past week because you have all those woke people who <laughs> have discovered Tropic Thunder is an actual movie now. And they're like, how could Robert Downey Jr. do blackface? Right, right. The black people defending it saying, like, he's making fun of it. Yeah. 2020's Tropic Thunder. Of course. (laughs) I can't believe that was trending on Twitter this past week. I can't believe it. But it's absolutely true. But yeah, uh, the the idea being in that movie that he is making fun of blackface. This movie, I think he's in blackface. It's an interesting thing because, like, yes, that's bad. But also, the movie's super woke for having a black president in 1984. Uh, Quote-unquote, black president in 1984. Yeah, so, like, definitely, like, bad. But also, like, all right. What a weird choice. So bizarre. So bizarre. (laughs) It really is. But you know what? It fits the tone of this movie. That's true. So the president sends his secretary of defense to assist them. Yo-Yo Dine has been building a spacecraft to cross over to the Eighth Dimension under the pretense of a new United States Air Force bomber. So when Penny refuses to tell the Electroids where the overthruster is, they torture her, obviously. Of course they do. Which is weird because they go through her purse, which is definitely where it is, and they don't find it. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, this is just an excuse to get clothes off of Ellen Barkin. Yeah, the same way you would uh, Jessica Alba in Fantastic Four. Not even close. She did that voluntarily. That's true. Multiple times. In here, she's doing it involuntarily because obviously she's being held hostage. Right. So Buckaroo Banzai arrives and is also tortured by John Warfin in the shock tower, but he doesn't surrender. A fun note about this scene is that Peter Weller was trying so hard not to laugh because this was his first scene with John Lithgow, and he did not know he was going to be doing the accent. Oh, man. And Peter Weller has to keep this very just cool just look about super him. I'm not, I'm not cool. going to call it. Yeah, I'm not going to call it stoic. Because stoic no. is reserved for like guys who are tough guys, like right. you can't hurt me. Stoicism would, would say like, like that he doesn't. He's showing no emotion. Where like he is, he's showing that he's just a badass. Yeah, he loves it, but he doesn't love it. He's not trying to be <laughs> he hard. Knows he to he's just being it. cool. That's right. That's a good way to put it. The Secretary of Defense enters Yo Yo Dine and demands to speak to Big Booty. Big Booty. He finds Big Booty in the pit. Big Booty where they're torturing Penny. John Big Booty leaves. <laughs> I'm not going to keep doing it. No, that's fine. John, <laughs> he leaves, and Secretary of Defense finds the overthruster in Penny's purse, just right there, finds it, and he leaves Penny in the pit. Real hero, this guy. He really is. Team Bonsai attacks Yo-Yo Dine, coming in after the Secretary of Defense. Right, and when they attack, they come in wearing like these vests that have these these snorkels, more they or got- less. Weird snorkels. Al Albuquerque style. It was like a snorkel to me. And they, they put it <laughs> oh in their my mouth God, I think and they that's can my see favorite reference you've ever made. <laughs> they put it in their mouth so they can see all the aliens, whatever. But they're only coming in with like handguns and revolvers. Yeah. It's not like there's any heavy artillery or anything like that. Yeah. But the best part about all these guns is whenever they shoot someone, they all sound exactly the same. There's no blood and these guys just fall. They they are fucking leaping brilliant. from the tops of buildings. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. It's so dramatic. They manage to shoot one guy into the electricity of the building, which turns the power off and frees Buckaroo Banzai from the shock 
tower. That's what it's called, the shock tower. That's what they called it, right. (laughs) And all they said was, it's a torture device. (laughs) So he goes and finds Penny, and New Jersey tells him he'll take care of her. So then Bonsai and John Parker sneak into a pod on the Lectroid spacecraft. When John Warfin sees that the Lectroids are losing to this ragtag team of guys with pistols, he decides to try to break through the Eighth Dimension using his own imperfect overthruster. Right. And the thing about Brian's description right now is that it's hard to follow because there's so many Johns here. Oh, yeah. Everybody's named John. Everybody's named John. See this movie. Please. Once again, see this movie. It makes so much more sense when you can see all the different Johns. It's terrific. There's so many Johns. (laughs) It's the best. Uh. It's kind of like hustle and flow. It's hard out there for a pimp and pimps are Johns. And boom, here we are. Buckaroo Banzai. Pimps are Johns? Aren't they? No, Johns are the customers. I don't think so. Yeah, absolutely. A pimp pimps a prostitute out to a John. Right. Why do you know this? And why don't I know this? Um, (laughs) Because pimping ain't easy. Fair enough. All right. I'm learning something about you right now. I just don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm either a pimp or a John, but not both. Can't be both, apparently. I I get it now. You can be both, but you're not really a John because you're not paying. You're getting paid. That's why you got to keep your bottom bitch in line. Oh, man. This is taking a turn. No, the bottom (laughs) bitch is your best earner. She's your your. Is it? I don't know. It sounds like it's on the bottom. That's Well, yeah, that's a mind game, Dave. It's very complicated. I've literally (laughs) seen two strippers in my whole life because I'm just not into that at all. (laughs) Strippers and prostitutes are not the same thing, Dave. Come on. Respect sex workers. I apologize for the ladies who take the day and the ones who just trying to take your money <laughs> this is complicated to me apparently it's very complicated this is, a, this is something i didn't know i'd have to try to figure out tonight yeah i recommend uh checking out the south park episode where butters becomes a pimp do you know what i am saying i don't what what the, why why is that an important episode because it'll explain the whole situation about bottom bitches and johns and pimps and butters starts Fair selling enough. hugs on the on the playground oh what a fucking baller so John Warfin decides to break through the eighth dimension using his own imperfect overthruster, but it fails to make the dimensional transition and instead just breaks through the Yoyodyne wall, and he's now flying <laughs> off above New Jersey. Right. This is more in line with a Christopher Lloyd, the judge, crashing through the wall in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. So much cross-dimension stuff here. <laughs> he didn't quite get to 88 miles per hour. That's right. Also. June Patreon. Oh? Christopher Lloyd has popped up a number of times on this show. I literally just said I wish we could talk more about him. Good news, bud. June Patreon's going to be Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, that's a good choice. We're going to go to Toontown, baby! We haven't done a cartoon yet. That's perfect for the Patreon. Boom. Well, it's it's mostly a cartoon. Right. It's a half and half. We'll get there. It's more cartoon than anything else we've done on Patreon. Right. There's contract battles. It'll be great between Disney and, and, and <laughs> Mary Melody's folks with Warner Brothers. It, I can't wait to talk about it all. It'll be great. Dude, Patreon. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Inside the ship, John Warfin and John Big Booty, Big Bootay, whatever, argue, and their dispute ends with John Warfin shooting John Big Bootay. Oh, before that even. Their dispute escalates. Oh, yeah. When an alien costumed Christopher Lloyd... <laughs> Gives the middle alien finger to John Lithgow. I laughed so loud. An alien Christopher Lloyd gives an alien costume middle finger 
to John Lithgow. I want to say it again because of how bizarre that is. In case they didn't hear you in the back. 1.21 gigawatts. I can't believe it. What an amazing moment, man. It was, how cool it is was that? Absolutely how phenomenal. funny is that? And it's like so angry of a middle finger. It's, fuck you. It's fuck it's you, Lithgow. Perfect. And it's because John Lithgow keeps saying big booty instead of big boot. I know what that's like. And then I get it. Calls him a coward. What a good moment, man. It's one of my favorite moments we ever talked about. It's so phenomenal. It is probably my favorite part of this movie. John Warfin, knowing that Buckaroo Banzai and John Parker have infiltrated his ship, release the pod they occupy. Luckily, Buckaroo figures out how to fly it real quick and manages to activate its weapon system, and they destroy John Warfin and all the other red electroids on the ship. It's pretty anticlimactic, and I don't care. Yep, I don't mind at all. He's just like, I'm going to hit this button, and it's going to blow up their whole ship, and then he's going to parachute back to his team while John Parker flies back to the Nova Police mothership. Perfect. Great. So back on the ground, Little Scooter takes the overthruster from the Secretary of Defense because, you know, kids got a gun. Because they brought a child to this big fight. They sure did. Yeah. And they armed him. Got arms. Kids got arms. Right to their kid arms. Second Amendment. Secretary of Defense does not. So he has to hand over that overthruster. He's got a hat, though. Wears a baseball cap the whole time. He does. And so does his dad. It's great. They're big fans of Buckaroo Banzai. It's true. New Jersey and the other Cavaliers take Penny from the pit to the tour bus. Right, they have a tour bus. When Buckaroo lands, New Jersey tells him that they couldn't save Penny. Womp womp. So Bonsai finds Penny on the bus, and he kisses her back to life with an electric shock. Okay. Because that's uh, how this movie's going to do this. Why do so many guys feel the need to kiss the either dead or unconscious girl? Don't give me that Snow White bullshit. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe it's because he didn't get to say goodbye to his actual wife, who was her twin sister. But even Which is then, possible, but even, even then. then kind of creepy, creepy, dude. But then she wakes up to the electric shock, and then the electric boink. <laughs> they sure do. Like, she literally closes the shades, and all you see is electricity coming from the bottom of the screen. Right. That can't be good for her, I'd imagine. But and then, uh, what are you going to do? And then it says, stay tuned for Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. And we get like a, a weird montage of the entire cast walking through a aqua, uh, what is that? Anchorman style, pretty oh much. God. News team assemble and let's walk. And, and they just walk to the music. And that's and it. Uh, they walk to the music. And that's, <laughs> that's the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Jesus fucking shit Christ. This oh movie is, God. is unique to put it the least. It's uh, I'm moving my opinion to a love yeah yeah it's uh and like we didn't even talk about perfect tommy or reno or barely talked about rawhide there's so many characters in this thing and they're all so much fun yeah this movie is just fun this movie almost doesn't serve a purpose to exist in the world except to entertain you and be fun right right it's not like Can't trying just have to... fun for a second jesus it's not trying to build a universe even though i feel like it pretty much did it built a very its own universe very well it's not trying to force any kind of narrative down it's just like hey come along for the ride this is going to be fucking wild right we set up how insane this movie is going to be in the opening scroll and just take it for what it is have fun yeah yeah they underplayed it they underplayed it in the opening scroll amazing right i don't know how i don't know how either this is one of those weird ones that like i did not feel the same joy 
watching this movie as I did Toxic Avenger. Right. But that's the only thing I compare this movie to in my head. But it's like after sitting with this movie, I went, Man, that was so much fun. That it's was not so that it's and not it's not that it's less enjoyable than Toxic Avenger. It's a totally different kind of enjoyment. It is. It is. Toxic Avenger is enjoyable because it does everything it sets out to do. It wants to gross you out and be over the top and right. yeah, yeah. I could say all this stuff because Lloyd Kaufman's our best friend. Yep, you he's know, our he's, friend now. He's our Instagram friend. But this movie is just strictly Buckle up. Hour 42. Let's do this. Let's have a good time. Yeah. We're going to tell you up front what's happening, and then we're going to fucking blow the doors off it. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. It's a spoof. This whole movie is just a spoof on it on all these things that are happening in the sci-fi sort of genre, yeah. if you will. But man, is it good. It's so good. It's so good. I have questions for whoever decided Peter Weller was half Japanese, but other than that, I mean- I don't think it matters. It doesn't. I, don't, I mean- it doesn't Who gives at all. a shit. Also, it could have been Cameron Crowe because Cameron Crowe in the movie Aloha casted Emma Stone as a half Japanese person. Yeah, well, there you go. Ooh, Rodney Dangerfield, collar pull. Ooh. They also looked at <laughs> Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton for the role. And that's huh, weird Which, choices because Michael Keaton weird. would have been a, a very young Michael Keaton at yep. the time. Tom Hanks, a very young Tom Hanks. But I feel like Peter Weller's my least enjoyable thing about this movie. I think he's so bland. That it doesn't offer too much for the role, but I get why. Right. He has so many titles to his name of what he can do that why make him an over the top character? Right. There's just no reason Play to. Play it nonchalant because, of course, this guy would be like super humble about all these crazy things he does. Exactly. And he's, I mean, he's the Zeppo and he's going to eventually have to act opposite the Groucho with John Lithgow. Oh, big time. <laughs> How do we fit Harpo into this? The quiet one with the Marx Brothers. I don't know if we can. That's tough. That's a shame. That's a yeah. shame. Sorry, Harpo. You're my favorite for what it's worth. Brian, let me ask you a question. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes, 1-100. Go ahead. Oh, God. I have no idea. Like, literally, I have zero clue where this thing would land. So It's I'm a tricky one to figure out. <laughs> 50. That's a cop-out. Of the- Kevin Smith style. Biggest. We'll get there. <laughs> this got a 69%. Okay. It's one of the rare ones on Rotten Tomatoes that also got a 69% audience score. Oh, nice. How about that? 69. Roger Ebert. Did, oh, goodness. Roger Ebert did not see this movie. Are you sure? I couldn't find it. Um, I don't have anything from Roger Ebert, but I do have a quote uh, from At the Movies in 1984, just before the film came out, where Gene Siskel guessed that the movie would attain cult status. Hey, good for him. So, you know, we don't have an Ebert, but at least we got a Siskel in there. That's pretty good. Does that mean he liked it or didn't like it? I don't know. I think I think it was right. him predicting that it wasn't going to do well, but people would like it later. It would catch on? Yeah. A slow burn, if you will. That's fair. On Rotten Tomatoes, only four top critic reviews. The first one is Richard Corliss from Time Magazine. He says, a state-of-the-art spaceship flying at the speed of light without narrative coordinates. Bucker Banzai is the very oddest good movie in many a full moon. Wow. And that was in 2008. <laughs> well, it took him a while to get to it, huh? In 2007, Jeff Andrew from Time Out said, Richter's comic genre hybrid comes complete with its own mythology and team of established superheroes and is curiously appealing. Doesn't know what a superhero is, but that's okay. This is a comic book movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally got a comic book in it. 
Exactly. In 2007, the Variety staff from Variety, they don't put their names on it sometimes, they say, it violates every rule of storytelling and narrative structure in creating a self-contained world of its own. Huh. It's a negative, by the way. <laughs> really? Self-contained really, really. worlds. You know, bad. Bad. How about that? And the last <laughs> one that I have is from 2003, and it is from the legendary critic from the New York Times, Vincent Camby. He gave this movie a 3.5 out of 5. Okay. And since we don't have an Ebert, we got a Canby. All right. Let's Canby it. He says, watching the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai from beginning to end is like coming into the middle chapters of some hilariously overplotted, spaced out 1930s adventure serial, neither <laughs> the beginning nor the end of which ever comes into sight. At its best, which it frequently is, it's a lunatic ball. An extremely genial, witty example of what is becoming a movie genre all its own. What genre is that? Because if there's more of this, I want to see all of them. I completely agree. He goes on to say, absolutely nothing in Buckaroo Banzai is quite clear, nor is it supposed to be, <laughs> though most of it is very funny, beginning with the opening sequence. And he goes on to describe the opening sequence. That's fine. Yep. I had to chop this thing up because it was lengthy and he just went on and talked about the movie. But he also says... Buckaroo is obviously someone very unusual, even for sci-fi farce. As played in gravely comic style by Mr. Weller, he never gives an indication that he knows he's a combination of Buck Rogers, The Shadow, Bruce Lee, Christopher Reeve Superman, Dr. Kildare, and any two members of the Monty Python troupe. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, you're right. Pretty on the nose. <laughs> All of those things and never lets on that he knows he's any of them. Whoops. How about that? Is That's that a whoops or is right that there. just uh I I'm unsure. Because how can you possibly get a script and say this someone to portray this character who's all of these things? The answer is straight. It's the only way to do it. Unless you're the rock. In which case, what what's the answer? Then you just play it as the rock. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about some shitty human beings? Oh, almost always. Amazon.com. Uh -huh. We got some monsters who live there from the eighth dimension. Planet 10. <laughs> they gave this movie a 4.2 out of 5. Okay. 65% are 5 star. 9% are 1 star. That's high. Which is high, but out of 667 reviews, that's whatever. That's, yeah, there were that's true. not many 1 star reviews. I think I have like 5. Huh. <laughs> so, from August 26, 2018. Title, Really? Review. What was I expecting from a movie made way back then? <laughs> this movie sucked. Way back then? 1984? Way back then. Way back then. It was like 30-something years ago. I can't believe it. And then they mentioned a guy who made a movie way back then? From the way back then? With Orson Welles? Oh, the guy going way, way back. I've seen enough Peabody and Sherman to know that the Wayback Machine only goes way back once. You can't way back it twice. Yeah, you can't way back the way back. What is this, the Avengers? That's insane. You're going to go farther back Completely in time, insane. Tony Stark and Captain America? What is this? Right, and bring up all these questions about time travel that we're going to probably answer in another year. We'll get there. What do we think? <laughs> we will get there. It's going to get ugly. Let me a whole episode probably dedicated to that. <laughs> go listen to the Back to the Future episode for a sneak preview, I guess. <laughs> mm. From September 1st, 2018, I wish there was a negative five-star option. Worst movie I have seen since Class of Newcomb High. What? You're going to compare this to a trauma movie, which is probably excellent. It's probably a fair thing to compare it to. And also, excellent. What are you doing? Is it, how are you going to? 
Negative five? That's pretty extreme, bud. You should probably take a, a note from Dr. Buckaroo Banzai and just play it cool. Play it cool, play man. It cool. Play it cool. Right down the middle. Just be cool. Don't be so extreme. Right. It's insane. Write your stars on your hand and then slap it against your own forehead, you dumb fuck. You're acting like a real John Warpin right now. Warfin. Got him. Yeah. Got him. <laughs> from September 11th, 2014. Title, The Case Against Banzai. <laughs> Review. Thought I'd love this. I was like, Bucker Banzai. It's going to be weird, smart, sexy, perverse, fun. The beginning? Awesome. John Lithgow's in it. Then he's not. And then- <laughs> That's true. He's He's missing for like 40 minutes. And there's what feels like a five-hour lull. Then Lithgow comes back. I rest my case. <laughs> 40 <laughs> minutes, is, five hours. Eh. This is the worst example of Marshall from How I Met Your Mother lawyering someone. <laughs> the thing is, the whole time John Lithgow's gone, you get copious amounts of Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Lloyd. What more could you want? I don't know. I just Some people just can never be happy. That's what it comes down to. What do you want? From September 25th, 2015, title, Suckaroo Badzai. Oh, that's not even good. Review, this movie is like a wet fart at a wedding. (laughs) All right, getting better. (laughs) I don't know why, whenever I hear that, I think of like Kevin Malone, The Office, maybe in like the Niagara episodes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I didn't mean to do it. Oh, that's a good Kevin Malone. It's all that chili he ate. Uh, well, it's, he didn't eat it. The floor ate it. Well, I'm sure he made more. We all know how that wedding. goes. <laughs> Him and his tissue box shoes. <laughs> so good. Oh. <laughs> and the last one I have from June 19th, 2003, title, There is no excuse for bad filmmaking. I mean, there are plenty of excuses, but go on. He says, there is no excuse for bad filmmaking. Plenty. To create a bad movie, quote unquote, and then tell audiences that you intended to make it that way is a petty excuse, and it's a shame anyone ever fell for it. I suppose some director should come out of the woodwork and say that George of the Jungle was actually supposed to be a profound intellectual dialogue on idiotic filmmaking, or that Master of Disguise showcases Dana Carvey's genius at making himself look like an untalented, <laughs> albeit sometimes mildly funny fool. <laughs> there is no excuse for bad filmmaking, and there is certainly no excuse for Buckaroo Banzai. I don't think this is a bad movie. I don't think this is bad filmmaking at all. I don't think so either. W.D. Richter wrote this thing with Mr. Roush, and I think their vision came to life here. Yeah. I don't think you can compare this to Master of Disguise or whatever the other one was. <laughs> George of the Jungle. But George the thing of the about Jungle. filmmaking is that it's really, really hard. Yeah. It's a miracle that some of these things even come out. And the fact that you can even acknowledge that there's a coherent story in something is a testament to that because they shoot this shit out of order most of the time. And when you could slap it together editing wise, then bam, right. that's a miracle. Right. That is a lot of talented people coming together, work together to create something like this. And this guy, I just don't think understands what filmmaking is. This is me on my soapbox again. I understand that. <laughs> but you know what? I don't give a shit. If I'm on my soapbox, it means I'm higher up and I can shit down on this man. You and have, that's fine. You have the, the advantage. I sure do. I had the higher ground. There it is. That's Star Wars episode what I was three, Revenge of the Sith style. <laughs> the higher ground. I, I just don't know how you can watch this movie and go, Oh, they meant to make a bad movie. No, they made a really fucking good movie. They made a very fun, enjoyable movie. This stuff movie. is very intentional. 
Yeah. You don't put this kind of top talent in these type of roles and just hope for the best. You know that they're going to deliver on the stuff that you gave, and these folks deliver. You cannot accidentally arrive at a plot this convoluted and have it play out. Yeah. It's strangely complex for what it is. And the fact is, is that you get this guy who you described as a rock star, as a neurosurgeon, as a test pilot, as a particle physicist, and you're able to still even tell a story using all that stuff? That's Samurai incredible. comic book hero. I always forget it. You're right. <laughs> That's incredible. It's unreal. And you get Jeff Goldblum in a full rodeo cowboy outfit. What more do you want? Why can't you just be happy? Why can't you just be happy, dude? And you get a guy who looks a lot like a 1984 version of James Franco with bleach blonde hair. I didn't even think he looked like that. I think he looked like a Guy Pierce, like memento style. Oh, okay. I can see that. He's, uh, yeah, Guy Pierce. I can see that. That makes me think if you were going to cast this thing today, who would you put in the role of Buckaroo Banzai? Today? I mean, I obviously know that you can't do it today, and we'll get to that, but we absolutely will. The thing that bothered me most about this movie after the first time I watched it was it felt like Super, where you had a really, really good idea, but it never came to fruition. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those like, man, you are so close. You set this thing up. Everything's like the right way about it. And then you just missed. You just missed the pitch as it came in. I think that this movie would thrive today. Oh, I agree. And I think Buckaroo Banzai, I think if you get someone who has possibly portrayed a Doctor Who before who can capture that proper energy that you need for this role like a matt smith Ooh. i think that or like a david Tennant it would really really work i could see i that. think david Tennant has too much emotion for it that's true that's true because i don't because i don't see yeah, Buckaroo Banzai as a yeah. an emotional person right right except for when he is you know when when he sees somebody crying at his concert and it's a basically clone of his wife yeah but even then he's still kind of deadpan about everything that's true he just says Fucking Bucket Rubanza, I'm gonna sing you a song and make the world up. You're putting a gun to your head. Yeah. Oh shit. All I right. think <laughs> I think I would do something uh like Glenn Howerton. It's a cool choice, but that like is unexpected. But like I think like without the sarcasm and the and the disdain for the world that he always shows in most of his characters, like on Always Sunny and whatever that show was with Patton Oswald where he was a teacher. I, I agree. And I, I you know what, this movie actually kind of makes me think of MacGruber a lot. Really? In the sense that, I mean, MacGruber's over the top in the most wonderful way imaginable. Sure. But MacGruber's also a guy of a billion skills that just oh, are yeah, unexplained, yeah. yada, yada, yada. And he has a sort of ragtag team that he throws together that it doesn't work, and yet it works perfectly. Okay. I don't know why this movie reminds me of MacGruber. I really don't know why. That's interesting. I'll put my finger on it one day. Maybe it's because John Lithgow is just a cunt. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Perhaps. Let's give this thing a super stuff score. Let's. But first, this is an actual IMDb trivia fact. Hooray! The issue of the Buckaroo Banzai comic book that one of the hunters finds on the ground at the 40-minute mark and says is the latest issue is numbered issue one and dated to the month of February. Maybe so, it's like a new run. Who knows? It's the latest they issue. Do it all the time. Number one. Yeah, that, that makes it the latest, right? That was your actual IMDb trivia fact. How about that? Great. <laughs> the more you know. Super stuff score. Start with story motivation. This story is insane. Story is bonkers, but it 
it follows a trajectory. It plays it out. It does. Uh, the motivation itself. I'm not sure what the motivation is other than like, hey, I invented this thing to go to across different dimensions. And now I'm being roped into this other thing by aliens. Right. And now he has to kind of clean up this other aliens mess. Now I got to like save capable the day because up. you decided to hide aliens inside another dimension on Earth. Story's great. Motivation, shit. Let's go 0.5. I think that's perfectly fair. Hero. Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai. He is such a straight man. He's a neurosurgeon, physicist, test pilot, rock star, comic book, hero samurai. And he doesn't sound nearly that interesting when you watch this movie. That's my biggest issue with this entire movie. Nope. But he does save the day. He sure does. I'm willing to go like 0.25 for it because Peter Willow just doesn't do it for me here. But he saves the day. And that's fine. He's probably the least interesting character in this movie, despite all those accolades. That's true. He's uh, he's definitely a straight man. But yeah, 0.25. You're right. Villains. John fucking Lithgow. Yeah. Yeah. And don't he is forget. putting on a show. You get your you get your henchman and Christopher Lloyd and Vincent Chiavelli. I want to start at one. Ooh. Oh, I think that's where we are. <laughs> I want to start at one. Okay, okay. I hate how Lithgow's not on screen nearly enough. No, there is like a 40-minute chunk in the middle of the movie where he is not there. And for that reason, I think I'm going to stay at one. I think one is is probably the appropriate place for it. Yeah, it's oh, so good, though. You get, that, you get that Christopher Lloyd middle finger, though. One five, done. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's all he needed. Point five for the middle finger. It's, it's that good of a moment. Parents. Uh, they're presumably dead. That no, pre- but not even presumably. Uh, there are was they said to be dead. There was a different intro to the movie where Jamie Lee Curtis played Buckaroo's mother in a flashback. But oh. The scene was cut, uh, which is fine. But they do reference it at the beginning of the press conference where they cut to the alien spaceship. Buckaroo Banzai says that his parents. 30 years ago, almost to the day, were killed in an accident trying to to do whatever this is with the dimension jumping. So they are dead parents. Officially dead. We got them. Done. One. One. Female characters. Ellen Barkin. And why is she here? Ellen Barkin and Mrs. Johnson, who's almost there. You've got uh, John M. Dahl, the queen of the, the, the black. Yep. And she doesn't need to be there either. So uh, electroids, let me let me get electroids in there so I don't just say Queen of the Black. <laughs> it's very important that you do that. You're right. Uh, do you want to go with zero or minus two point uh, minus point two five? Um, well, hold on. <laughs> I think that's where we're at. right. We now. also have there was a senator in with the blackface president who he says was the only person in the room with balls, which was pretty neat. It was. And I which don't care. I now. think that Let's brings it up to a zero. Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> We're the best at this. Yep. Setting. New Jersey. It is very New Jersey. You get Trenton. You get New Brunswick. They're naming, I'm not going to call it obscure towns in New Jersey, but it's not like a Newark or a Patterson or something like that or Wildwood, Atlantic City. It's like, these are the, the smaller places that y'all know. Yeah, Trenton, I mean, obviously Trenton capital, is but... pretty big. Uh, New Brunswick is a, is a pretty big one. It's college town. Rutgers. Yeah. You know what? For New Jersey, let's go one. I mean, I love it. Does it feel Legally, like I have New to Jersey? Say that. No, not even a little bit. Especially <laughs> at the end, while they're walking through that whatever canal. That canal, yeah. The doesn't make any sense. 
Definitely not New Those Jersey. Those are not there. New Jersey as far as I know. That is Terminator 2 style canal. But then we also LA. have um, the Eighth Dimension. Which is nothing. Which is a lot of blue stuff flying at the screen. All right. So I'll lower it to point 0.5. Point 0.5. Jersey. We'll go with You're a point welcome, five. New Jersey. Style and tone. You lead this one off. Director of photography Jordan Cronenweth shot almost half of the film, but then he was replaced at the producer's insistence. W.T. Richter wanted something that looked kind of like the French film Diva from 1981, but the producers wanted it to look more like Raiders of the Lost Ark. So they brought in Fred J. Konekamp, who brought a more two-dimensional look, and then they just used half of what Cronenweth shot anyway. So, like, this thing has two different looks to it the whole time. But, no but? That's it? That I, That's, I mean... I don't mind it. You can't tell too much when you're watching this thing. I, you know what? Nice. If I hadn't read that, I would not have known it. So let's not take that into account then. Okay. As interesting as it is, the style of this movie is impressive for what it is. Obviously, they can't use a lot of CGI because it just isn't really there for the most part. So what they can do looks amazing. Yeah. For as cheap budget as this thing is, this movie only costs seventeen million dollars to make. Right. Yeah. Which is. Super low budget. Right. And it nearly made back half. Uh, it, <laughs> but it, it almost it only half. made back six million. Uh, I think the style's great. I think the tone's all over the place by design, though. By design? I do think it's by design. I think that they wanted to spoof on enough of these type of B rated sci fi things as they could in order to get this movie oh, for as sure. a whole. For sure. So I'm willing to go 0. 0.5 on this one to play it safe. I think you're right. I think 0.5 is, is where it needs to be. Music. The sweet, soothing sounds of Michael Boddicker's synthesizer. It's just a synthesizer. I hate synth music so much sometimes. Oh, I don't mind it at all. I actually thought that the soundtrack was super appropriate for this movie. That's totally fair. It doesn't mean I liked it. I will go 0.25 to acknowledge that there are other sounds in this movie uh you have a whole scene uh, where they're a rock band and they play a pretty sweet jazz number to to open their show they do and then you have the uh, the piano playing but are you going to use that as an argument right now come on yeah absolutely all right he's a rock star yeah 0.5 he plays (laughs) a rock star plays a real small bar (laughs) <laughs> that's true this is like probably saw third eye blind most, play a real small bar on long island the most famous <laughs> person in the entire world walks from the green room through the crowd to the stage one-liners there's a biggie in this one there's a huge in this one like and, and it comes back in other things yeah wherever you go there, there you, you are. are mostly made famous by austin powers that's true Austin Powers brought it back. That shows where this thing lands. Yeah. Is the fact that when Austin Powers traveled to the future and he learned all these things about the past, when he's researching about what happened to all my favorite celebrity friends, Mama Cass died, ham sandwich. Ham sandwich. He also watched Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, that's true. He chose that because of how apparently big this movie is cultally, if you will. Cultally, I like it. I'm going to use Austin Powers defense and go one, because that line, it lands. That line totally lands. And there's a lot of other fun lines throughout the movie. I laughed so many times during this movie at stupid things that people said. Mostly the Lithgow speech. Oh, my 
God, home is where you wear your hat. <laughs> where are we going? Planet 10. When are we going? Really soon. Really soon. <laughs> <laughs> or like, it's my favorite line. <laughs> why is that watermelon there? I'll tell you later. It's, fucking, it's so it's good. Like, like what? It's a three seashells moment. It, That's what that is. Absolutely. So yeah, I agree. I'll go one. One. I love it. I love it. Buckaroo, I don't know what to say. Electroids, Planet 10, Nuclear Extortion, A Girl Named John. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. And finally, we have the genre impact. This is complicated. Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a cultural impact more than yeah, anything. That's true. The genre is kind of on its own. It's comic book, not so much superhero. Yeah, it's it's what less do do superhero. Here? It's It's very comic book. This would be the appropriate time to talk about Kevin Smith. Yes. So Kevin Smith was working with Amazon to make Buckaroo Banzai into its own TV series. Right. That's the right guy picking the right property. Oh, absolutely. First of all, uh, that is perfect. Phenomenal. Chef's kiss. Kevin Smith with this. Yes. Would have been great until it wasn't. Until MGM was like, hey, wait. So Smith was working with Roush and Richter, writer-director duo here. And MGM stepped in and said, we own the rights. And it led to this whole big legal battle over the rights of Buckaroo Banzai. And Kevin Smith just said, I'm out. This isn't what I signed up for. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, And it's a shame. It is a shame. And it's crazy that MGM would fight so hard over a property that made $6 million. I think it's because they recognized what it could be with the right person attached. Sure. But I don't even think they can prove that they still hold the rights over Richter and Roush. So now nobody can do anything with it. It's a shame, really. Yeah. This is one of those things that is like a Doctor Who, that is just begging to be brought back. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this thing is just so ripe for reboot. You could see this thing coming to Amazon any day. Oh, absolutely. I, I just don't understand why they I can't see back away from Netflix it. Netflix picking it up. I could see it going basically anywhere. So that being said, I think the impact on the genre is real low. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. I think this thing's going to probably, probably be a zero This is a movie that I had literally never heard of until you said, oh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. I was like, okay, I'll add it to the list. Yep. So uh, let's go zero. I think unfortunately, it's a zero. That sucks that it's a zero. And for the second week in a row, the final score is 5.25. I'm okay with that for this one. I was not okay with it for Suicide Squad because <laughs> between us- I think that was a little too high, but <laughs> this one. I completely agree. <laughs> this one, it feels a little low to me, but this is also a new movie to me. And I think if uh, if I sit with it for a while, it, it'll probably, it, that's probably where it belongs. Settle in a little bit? Yeah. That's pretty fair. Also, th- I, this feels like a movie you have to watch twice to really appreciate. I actually completely agree. I liked it the first time and said, like, I feel like I missed something. And then when you realize I didn't. I missed a I ton is, the first time, but that was you? also a sleepy. I, I feel like I didn't. It just like solidified things for me. I went that felt better. I think on the second on the second watch through, everything connects in the right way. And you're like, oh okay, so the black Johns are the good guys. They're not the Let's same not Johns. The, There's two different the races again. of lectoids so here, lectroids, right? Whatever. And, and we have two dark colors of aliens that are really hard to tell apart sometimes. Yeah, exactly. But it's um. I mean, they do such a good job with this. And, and like, just the fact that, that this character has this mythos built up around him. Like, he's got a fan club that spans 
globally. And they can just get on a ham radio and say, Garden State, Blue Blaze, whatever they're called. And people answer. It's like just the thought that went into it is insane. It really is. And to have everything really is. connect, is it's beautiful. It's a good movie, and I suggest watching it twice. I suggest watching it the first time to listen to this, and then go back and watch it again. Oh, that's it's perfect. Yeah, definitely worth watch it. Watch it once, go, For what sure. the hell was that? Listen to this, and then watch it again, and just love it the way I do. It's a very good movie, when it's all said and done. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we are talking about Disney's The Rocketeer. This is one of those movies... That has been in my brain since we started doing this show. <laughs> oh, wow. And we finally got to it 79 episodes later. <laughs> this one has a weird nostalgia spot for me. Okay. Because I vividly remember watching this movie when I was probably way too young to watch this movie. Sure. And I remember this being like a go-to for me when I was younger. I don't remember much of it now, which is kind of wild to think about. But it's like, oh, yeah, The Rocketeer. I used to love that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm trying to like... I actually can't wait to go back into this thing and watch it again. I really can't wait. I'm 80% sure I've never seen it. Where's that 20 fall in the place? What's what's going on with that, that 20%? The 20, it, it feels familiar to me, even though I don't know anything about it. So I don't know if it's just like, I don't know if it has very iconic imagery associated with like the movie poster and the, the you know. Sure. So maybe sure. that's that's what's familiar about it, but it just it has a familiarity to it, even though I don't think I've seen it. I can't wait. Next week, The Rocketeer. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Caped Podcasters. You can head over to Patreon and listen to our exclusive non-super movies that we do over there. We also have Batmanimation and The Pull List. Our shows about Batman the Animated Series and comic books. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to katepodcasters at gmail.com. Don't forget to keep listening. At the end of every episode, there's the post credits. They're there. Every single one. Always. They're there. So I guess we're going to see you next week for The Rocketeer. Same pod time. Same pod job. So, Brian, that is Buckaroo Banzai. What do you think happens post-credits? I think we go back to the Banzai Institute, or whatever they call it, and they're having a they're having a team debriefing. And somewhere in the middle of it all, things go off the rails. And Buckaroo Banzai turns to Perfect Tommy and says, what the hell makes you so perfect anyway? And Perfect Tommy <laughs> says, come on, Buck. It's not rocket science. I mean, ah, uh, I mean, it's not brain surgery. Ah, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Oh, it's beautiful. What do you think happens? What I think happens is we get set up for the sequel, where we kind of flash towards the end of the sequel to kind of hint at it, kind of like a, a Back to the Future Part Three, where they already filmed the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and what they do here is instead you see a guy named Eddie Valiant, and he's standing in front of. 
Christopher Lloyd is wearing like this fedora and this robe, and he's getting called Judge Doom. And he goes, <laughs> 2D animation? This is what you're going to take over after the eighth dimension? What are you doing? Why have you killed Acme and, and RK Maroon for this freeway? I don't get it. And then Christopher Lloyd says, of course not. You lack vision, but where I see people have to get on and off the freeway. On and off and all day and night. Soon, where Toontown once stood, will be a string of gas stations, inexpensive motels, restaurants that serve rapidly prepared food, tire salons, automobile dealerships, and wonderful, wonderful billboards. So stay tuned for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the sequel oh. to Second Dimension. Ha, 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 ha.